Today we are taking on the taboo topic of biohacking with one of the most well-known and controversial figures in the field, Joe Zaner. Joe is a biohacker, artist, and scientist who has faced numerous challenges, even threats to their safety due to their groundbreaking work in the field. Despite being banned from YouTube and facing investigation in California, Joe continues to push the boundaries of what is possible with DIY, genetic engineering, and, and self-experimentation. On this episode, we will be discussing the safety concerns, opportunities, and even DIY COVID vaccines with Joe. This is not a conversation to be missed. If you're a fan of cutting-edge technology and conversations and pushing the boundaries of what is possible, be sure to subscribe and like this video. Every bit helps. We are working towards putting out two to three episodes a week and have even more exciting content planned if we reach 10,000 new subscribers. Join us as we take on the world of biohacking on this episode of The Learning with Lowell Show. So I've been familiar with work for some time, like biohacking and all these things. And uh, there's like a, a parallel that I think of, and I'm just curious like what your take on it is. But does like biohacking and kind of like the repercussions, and it seems like you, I don't know how many other people get like hate as much for biohacking as you do in terms of like investigations and stuff. But um, but uh, it seems kind of like right to repair, you know, like 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 people are fighting just for the right to repair their phones. And it seems like yeah, biohacking. It is, it is very similar, but you know, it's with the human body. So I think it's yeah. a little bit different. Um, to me, what I like to say is, you know, my body, my choice. And usually when people hear that, they think about abortion or something like that, which is true, you know? Um, but I think it encompasses more than that. I think it encompasses just a general, like we deserve to have ownership of our bodies, which we don't currently in society. And that's crazy yeah. when you think about it, that like we can't decide what we want to do with or put into our bodies. And like that, like, that's the one thing that is like solely possessed by us, you know, that nobody can really ever take away is our body and government regulates it. So we can't do whatever we want to it. And that's kind of messed up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, like they're starting to, I think there's some pharmaceutical companies are starting to like patent different parts of our DNA, like different uh, elements of it. And stuff yeah. Like that. So, so it's DNA like of, you can't really patent. So I think it was in, Ooh, I forget exactly when, but um, they tried to patent. I think it was uh, the BRCA, BRCA1 gene, which is responsible for breast cancer. Um, I think it was struck down mm. by the Supreme Court or, or somebody like that. And the general rule is now, if it occurs naturally in nature, um, you can't patent it. Um unless you're using it for a purpose, uh, you know, you're patenting some process or technique instead of the actual gene. A good example of that is uh, CRISPR, which is a modern genetic engineering technique. Um, I don't know if you heard of CRISPR. Mm -hmm. I've had George Rich on the podcast. Oh, you have? Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and using CRISPR, CRISPR is just like a naturally occurring sequence in bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can't patent this. You can't patent the sequence of, you know, the Cas9 protein or something like that. You can patent the process though, like use this thing to do this. And that's what most people do. So usually naturally occurring gene sequences, um, you can't really patent nowadays, which is good. Um, but I think the more scary thing is, uh, you know, with all the human DNA sequencing and stuff like that is insurance companies getting hold of this and uh, using it against us or other people. Right now it's against the law, but 
how long that lasts. Who knows? Yeah, it reminds me of Gattaca. I don't know if you ever have seen that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really good movie, but it's really sad and dystopian at the same time. Like, yeah. You just get a blood test at the beginning of your life, and it's that's your whole career for the rest. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if that's sure. hopefully not where we're going with that stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that I'm really trying hard to do, and one of the interesting things is is that you have a say in what happens, right? Um, my company, the Odin, which I run here, is where I am right now. We sell genetic engineering kits to teach people how to do genetic engineering, you know, of all different organisms in their home, wherever. Um, we want to give people a say in the genetic future of our world. Um, because it, you know, if we just leave it up to the government and corporations, you know, maybe something like Gattaca will happen. They're, they're pretty crazy, you know? Yeah. They're not even consistent about it. Sometimes, um, I think when I, I think we're about the same age or like you're slightly older than me, but, uh, when we were kids, the, there were used to be insurance caps on how much the insurance companies would provide for you when you're sick. And it's like after like a million, they'd be like, all right, go find another insurance plan or die. <laughs> but now yeah. they can uh, do that. Like something's changed. Uh, something stay the same. It's um, the health insurance is really interesting in the United States. I think I was reading uh, one of your articles on uh, sub Substack, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And um, you're talking about how you, you, you're, you're like how you see the future or optionally how you see the future is like a hybrid model where there's like the big players and I assume insurance feeds into that um, as well as like like uh, biohackers who can be more decentralized and work on things as well is there are there places if I'm hopefully I'm like citing you right on that but um, are there places like that in the world that are moving in that direction well so yeah here's the thing so like um, the government has a place in drug regulation right because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get companies to make drugs number one right companies have to profit to make drugs so trying to get companies to make drugs and help them profit they're trying to make drugs that help the most amount of people and hurt the least amount of people and so pharmaceutical companies they are just going by what the government has dictated and this is what the government has dictated right we're going to help you make money and we want you to make drugs that help the most amount of people and hurt the least amount of people. And they do that. You know, it doesn't always work out, but like they do that generally. And uh, the problem is, is that they make a fuck ton of money and the drugs they generally make are geared towards them making a fuck ton of money, Mm -hmm. right? And helping a lot of people. But obviously the market for just drugs like that isn't like infinite and it's, it's not very big at all, right? And so you have to think about, well, what, what about people who have rare diseases or what about people that there's no treatment for, right? And so you have to start thinking about, well, what about, are, are people willing to risk more? Or, you know, are people willing to, to risk more for less expensive drugs or something like that? we don't take these things into account. So our system is meant to do one thing specifically. And don't get me wrong, you know, people knock the US medical system, but like the US medical system is the one that is consistently outputting the most cutting edge drugs in the world, right? All these gene therapies that are coming out, you know, most of them are developed and patented in the United States first, 
before anyplace else. So people in the U.S. have access to these drugs that nobody else has. And it's crazy because there are many countries that don't have access, modern countries that don't have access to these drugs, right? And so it's like, it's not just our medical system that sucks. Every medical system has issues with dealing with medicine and drugs. But you have smaller countries where there's not really medical regulation, you know? So it's like, um, it's more wild, wild west-like, but usually the problem with those countries is usually the, the standard of care isn't as high. So you're talking generally about countries like, you know, the Dominican Republic maybe, or Colombia, or places like that where, you know, they're not like, um, the countries do have some infrastructure, but they don't have the infrastructure like, you know, the United States or Europe or places like that. Now, there's a, a movie called Dallas Buyers Club, where in the 80s, in America, you they didn't have many options for, I think it was HIV uh, medication, like to help people not just immediately yeah. die from it. And uh, so they would go down to Mexico, buy, buy it up there, and then he'd bring it back north and he would sell it to people in a subscription model. At the same time, even now nowadays, people go to Mexico a lot for dentistry because it's so much cheaper there. Like a two thousand dollar operation up here would be like a hundred dollars down there. Yeah, and it's just like right across yeah, the border. I mean, medical like, tourism is the thing, right? Yeah, like people do travel, buy drugs in Canada, get, and it's not just like the U.S. It's also people in other countries traveling places to get drugs and, um, you know, surgeries and treatments and therapies. Um, you know, sometimes the wait list in other countries can be years for certain things, right? Especially if it's not a, you know, it's, it's not something that needs to be done immediately. And so, uh, it is a problem and people do do this a lot. You know, there are websites right now that if you want to buy drugs, uh, directly from, you know, India, a lot of drugs are manufactured in India and China. If you wanted to buy drugs, the same drugs that are used in the United States from the same manufacturing plants. You can buy them online, you know? There are websites easy to find on Reddit, you know, prescription drugs in India, search mm -hmm. some sh stuff like that. And like, uh, you know, like I've done it before. It it's harder to get more controlled substances, but any sort of general drug that's not really a controlled substance, um, it's pretty pretty easy to get. Is it um this kind of is related to a topic I wanted to ask you about when when it comes to biohacking or just acquiring these things online? How do you know when something's safe? So like you at one point in time you made like a COVID vaccine and you administered it to yourself. How did you know that that wasn't going to cause a problem that you didn't foresee when there's not like a clinical <laughs> trial or someone like testing the substance before you do it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was tested before. So when we had it manufactured, hmm. um, it 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 came with like. Uh, you know, all the, all the tests they did, purity levels, all, all that, all that sort of stuff. So as a scientist, a genetic engineer, I'm able to look at the data that they provide in the manufacturing process and, and analyze income. Um, generally, if you're buying drugs um, that aren't prepackaged, pre-made, you're going to run into a lot more of these issues. Hmm. And that's where you have to have the knowledge yourself. 
to be able to send off the drug to have some analytical chemistry done on it, you know, mass spec or something like that. But um, you can get just like pre-packaged, pre-made drugs, pills um, that are just sold in other countries, you know, like that are sold in Mexico or sold in the Dominican Republic or sold in these places. Um, so it's not, it's not, it's the, the risk is much less. Could these drugs be contaminated okay. or something like that? Sure, they can. Um, that makes sense. That's, that's always like a risk, but it's like, honestly, uh, I think the fear of drug contamination is kind of driven by, um, it's kind of propagandized this idea that, um, you know, we need to buy drugs from our country and not import them from elsewhere, right? It's why, you know, like, why can't we buy drugs from Canada or Mexico? You think the Canadian government has laxer drug purity standards than the United States? That doesn't make any sense. Like, huh. mm -hmm. why would they have laxer, you know? Like, no, it's just our government is monopolizing the distribution of drugs so that the companies in the United States benefit the most from it. And it's kind of sad. Um, mm -hmm. Because like, you know, the UK is not getting drugs that are more contaminated than the drugs we get in the United States. Yeah, I wonder if there'll ever be like a like an EU type organization of like a, like a NAFTA agreement, but for like drugs so that you can like move them around and have like one standard that applies to everyone. I was recently talking to someone in the food sciences about how like if you get approved in the EU, you get like approved in like 50 different countries, if that makes sense. So I wonder if there'd be like something similar to that for pharmaceuticals or other drugs. Um, yeah, like you know, I think the problem is just the governments is that they're not willing to do this, you know? And so it's just like, like you could easily, because usually when drug companies make a drug, they always go and patent it in like the same, same places. It's like the EU, Australia, the United States, you know, China or wherever, they always patent the drugs in the same places and try to go through the regulatory, you know, approval process in these same countries. And it's just like, it doesn't make any sense that they have to, right? It's like, if you get a drug approved in the United States, like the EU should also approve it. But, you know, there's drama between governments on that shit. So they don't, they don't want that to happen, which is just like annoying. Because it's yeah. like it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Well, uh, so so the in terms of sourcing the material, I think that the answer is like it's it's pretty easier. It's easy to know if it's a good product or not, I guess. Um, and if the, any government body is listening, we're not recommending anything. But uh, <laughs> uh, when it comes to biohacking, how do you like how, on that component? How do you know if something's safe to to put in yourself, or is there an element of just like yeah, this is a risk? Well, I mean, there's always risk with stuff you yeah. do. I think there's a risk with anything that you do. But I think what happens is as a scientist or, or something like that, you can look at the data and understand or make an educated guess based on what you know to understand like how much of a risk is there, right? I think that's the big thing. And like, there's a risk with everything we do. There's a risk with driving your car or smoking a cigarette or drinking alcohol or something like that. 
there's risk with all that stuff. So I think it's just being able to analyze that risk and make a, you know, proper judgment. And, and me understanding these things really well, if I experiment on myself or inject myself with gene therapy or something like that, um, you know, I, I can make that proper judgment. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if to, to, the, to what extent is it you take something that's more or less off the shelf and you're just translating it to the point where someone can build it in their lab versus um, you're building something novel in your lab, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, both. I mean, the stuff I do mm -hmm. is both, right? So the experiments I do are generally trying to um, create new, interesting things. You know, I'm, I'm very well known for the experiments that I've done on myself. Um, testing gene therapies, testing different medical treatments and stuff like that. Um, as you said, creating a COVID vaccine, um, testing these on myself. Uh, so it's creating things that are usually novel or if mm. they're not novel, testing them on, you know, myself is novel, um, is a novel part of the process. So uh, I think that's that's not the only boundary that needs to be pushed. I think there's this lack of translation of things from like research paper or clinical trial into available to the general public. Um, who was it? Was it a uh, William William Gibson? Did he say uh, the future is already here? It's just not equally distributed, you know. And I think that's a big problem in biotech medicine is that like there are drugs that are available that can help people, but they have to go through a drug approval process, right? They have to be administered by certain people. They have to get insurance approval, like all this stuff before it actually gets to the human being. And uh, that's a big problem because it slows down a lot. It protects a lot of people, which is great. But it also slows it down a lot so that, uh, you know, not everybody gets what they need. And, and a lot of people die just because they're waiting on something. Have you, um, so when there was, every now and again, there's like something that comes up and there's like a scarcity in terms of resources, like uh, insulin. Like a lot of people were literally dying because they couldn't get enough of it. Have, has, has there ever been a group of people just like, that open sources the process to make insulin because at one point in time it was like dog liver like they like munched it or something and now yeah, you can yeah, make yeah. it with yeah, just uh, yeah yeah well now nowadays you can just make it with some um like genetically engineered yeast or something yeah i think um the problem with something like that is more understanding how much insulin you're injecting insulin mm. is a tough one because you can actually kill yourself with insulin right Hmm. Um, and so just, you know, as somebody who's a scientist, giving somebody the resources to make insulin is very empowering, but it's also very dangerous, um, mm -hmm. because insulin is one of those few things that by itself in the body even though it's naturally produced by our body can, can kill us. Right. Um, if you inject too much insulin, you can kill yourself. Um, and so you need it. 
you need to know more precisely how much insulin is in, you know, some insulin that you purify or make or get in some way. Um, obviously you can do things like, you know, and you can buy tests to test how much insulin or inject small amounts in yourself and see how it affects your blood sugar and things like that. But I think these things are generally, um, way more complicated than would be reasonable for somebody just to have access to this technology. Can people have access to this technology? Sure. It's available. You know, if you wanted to go and take the insulin gene, which you can easily look up online and have some company produce DNA for you and put it in yeast or bacteria and, you know, purify a bunch of insulin, like it's totally possible. Um, it is, but, uh, for me, like making it easily accessible is it's, it's got its, you know, positives and negatives. I think there are a lot of other things that are less harmful that would be, you know, interesting, you know, like gene therapies, for instance, gene therapies are generally, um, not very harmful. You're just putting some DNA or, you know, some sort of DNA in your body. And uh, generally your body's not gonna respond negatively to DNA because we have it in all of our cells. So um, it's pretty safe and it's interesting and it has a lot of possible treatments for a lot of diseases. Is there anything um, like that new mRNA type uh, vaccines, not like the vaccine itself, but like the delivery mechanism? Are you, is there any technology like that that's been coming out that you're excited to be experimenting with either building to something that you tell at Odin or just for fun and for yourself? Yeah. I mean, mRNA technology, it's been around for a long time. It's, uh, it's not that interesting. It's not that much uh -huh. different than DNA. I mean, it's slightly different than DNA and slightly more efficient, but the problem with mRNA is, um, RNA is much more degradable than DNA. And so like with the vaccines, when the mRNA vaccines came out, um, they had to have these crazy freezers, cryo freezers to store the vaccines um, because mRNA spontaneously degrades really fast as opposed to something like DNA. So it makes it a much less um, hospitable thing to use outside of like purely clinical settings. Mm. Um, it makes it much less accessible and, uh, you know, it, it's more expensive to manufacture, more difficult to manufacture and all these things. So, um, that's less is interesting. Um, I think for me, the biggest things are accessibility and, uh, and, you know, accessibility of the material. And right now that's just using like DNA plasmid based gene therapies, which, isn't as popular um, as I, I imagine it should be. Why isn't it? Like, what's uh, what do you like about them? It's really inexpensive to produce DNA generally, um, and it's very stable. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is it's less efficient than standard gene therapies, which use viruses. So... Um, it's usually not people's first choice. 
you know, if, if you're going to do expensive okay. pharmaceutical experiments, people usually shy away from it because hmm, it, it has, um, uh, it's less likely that it'll work. Makes sense. Is, um, is there a unique, so let's say there's, what type of disasters would biohacking be particularly useful to, to be used to mm-hmm. help resolve, you know, like, uh, in, pa- in pandemics, you kind of need like a governing body, for instance, but at the same time, there was like a, an Ebola outbreak, which was kind of bio. So, you know, like, I you know, think okay. that in the pandemic, it would have been great. Um, hmm. you know, we created this DNA vaccine, um, administered it before any vaccine was available to the general public. Right. Like this was in, uh, mid 2020 and vaccines weren't available to the general public till early 2021. Yeah. Um, so you imagine people having this ability to do something like this because the problem is, is like distributing a vaccine to, you know, a hundred million people takes time. And it did, you know, you're talking months and months and months. And even then it cost a ton of money and logistically was crazy. Right. And so you're talking about like if we could have systems or things in place in which we can, um, you know, make vaccines in response to outbreaks, it would be great. The problem is the only thing you can do that with really is DNA. mRNA is really hard to make and produce and distribute, but DNA can be produced almost anywhere. It's really easy to distribute, really easy to manufacture. So having a DNA manufacturing facility in each state that in case of a pandemic can pump out a vaccine within, you know, weeks of an outbreak starting would be, as you can imagine, pretty amazing. Why? Um, I thought the reason that they did the mRNA, uh, versions of the vaccines was because they were fast. So DNA would have been no, as good no, as not fast. At all. Um, uh-uh. mRNA, I mean, they had to do proprietary manufacturing with the mRNA. They didn't even have the capacity to do it. That's one of the things that slowed it down a lot was just that, um, you know, trying to produce this quantity of mRNA vaccines at scale. Uh, that was really difficult. Yeah. Hmm. Was yours, um, this is one of the, when I was reading about, uh, back in 2020, I was like, I wonder how long it would be effective, because that's one of the things that people have been, there's like boosters for boosters for boosters now for the mRNAs. Yeah. Um, did you do antibody tests over like three, six, nine months to see how, how long they lasted in your system? I know you no, had I an think, antibody response, I think. Yeah, we had an antibody response. Um, not just an antibody response, but we did a pseudoviral neutralization assay, so we had a neutralizing antibody response. Um, this is the problem with the vaccines is like, I imagine that there was uh, some portion of the population that didn't even have an antibody response to the vaccine that was high enough to cause a response, much less a neutralizing antibody response. Cause, um, the way antibodies work, uh, are basically that, you know, they inject you with this vaccine and your body mounts a defense, right? And basically what it is, is creates antibodies that targets this protein. Now, where on the protein it targets is random. It's not completely random, but 
you know, there's some amount of random randomness to it. They're not putting the virus in you. They're just putting this protein, right? And so when the actual virus that has this protein comes in you, if the part of the viral protein that helps it get into your cells isn't the one that the antibody is binding, your antibodies aren't going to work. Your antibodies will just bind some random part of the protein that doesn't affect the virus at all. Hmm. And the virus still works. Um, so even though people got vaccinated, very few people actually got tested for an antibody response, um, which I think is a huge, huge issue, right? Because we don't know how many people had antibody responses that were neutralizing to the virus, right? And so it's like, who knows? And these boosters and all this other stuff, it's, uh, you know, it's like they, sh they, they look at the efficacy of this stuff and as the virus mutates and changes and a different virus becomes, you know, the more prominent one in the population, the old, um, you know, vaccine doesn't work as well because your antibodies don't bind the new virus as well. And they tried these bivalent vaccines that didn't even work that great. And it's just like, I, you know, the whole thing is a very complicated experiment that we don't quite understand how to hmm. combat yet. Um, Determining the like, mRNA efficacy? Like how, how well, how just the vaccines in general, you okay. know, on the scale, um, just pumping out a new vaccine and, and getting it to people and getting it to mm -hmm. work and seeing what works. Um, and so it's just like, are boosters, you know, like how many boosters are still going to help people? At what point is it just going to be like, uh, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and you, you look at the flu vaccine, right? So they make a new flu vaccine every year for which strains they think will feature most prominently. And sometimes the um, the uh, efficiency of the flu vaccine is like 20%. Yeah. Right? I never get it. I just think it's a waste. <laughs> I mean, it depends who you are, right? What portion yeah. of the population. Yeah, for me. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's definitely like, like with the COVID vaccine for people over a certain age, like it's definitely something that is helpful, but yeah, you know, the flu vaccine, it's, you know, and so like these things are complicated, they're hard. And I think pitching it as an easy science problem, that's easy to solve. I think was one of the big failures of, of COVID, you know, it's just like, we figured it out. Here's this vaccine. And it's like, no, we realize that it, it's more complicated than that. And we have to be prepared in the future for something that's more complicated. And I don't think it's going to be as easy as just like, let's run a clinical trial. Imagine if COVID was like slightly more deadly and slightly faster. Yeah, that's what was scary. Yeah. It was uh, like a couple of years before there was a movie called Contagion. And then when COVID <laughs> was hitting off, I was like, oh, how'd they know? Matt Damon's in this. He needs to stay out of movies. He's just, you know, it's like, it felt too real. They're not going to be it, like, you know, wear a mask. Like, come yeah. on. Like, we need to figure out something better than that. Something That's what we did like, during the Spanish flu. Like, a hundred or so years ago, we just said mask up and good luck. And so, so it's just are, like, 
Yeah, our technology has not evolved in terms of prevention. Yeah. And, uh, you know, right before the pandemic, it's funny, actually, because in like February, late February of 2020, I was actually at the NIH in Washington, D.C. and um, went to this like closed door meeting with a bunch of like high up people in the government in all branches of the government, you know, Army, Navy, Special Forces, um, CIA, FBI, whatever, everything talking about um, biosecurity and bio threats. And uh, it's funny how ill-prepared everybody is for this stuff. Just like a virus being released, like monitoring systems and, and stuff like that. Just how, how we aren't even prepared to monitor for this stuff. And uh, it's funny because like COVID, I think was mentioned once the whole time. And um, I don't even know if I should be talking about this stuff, but you know, don't come after me, government. Yeah, it's not like they'll um, investigate COVID you. <laughs> COVID was mentioned once, like the whole time, and it wasn't even like mm. that big of a deal. And then like a week later, everything gets shut down. <laughs> so that's showing you like the state of like wow. biosecurity understanding of our government. It's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. Was there, uh, did they mention if they funded gain of function research? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a fun uh, interview with Fauci where the guy just kept yelling at him about that, which I, I still oh, don't yeah. know if they did or not. Like, it, it's. That's it, funny. Yeah, I yeah. mean, <sighs> I think the problem is it's like, there's no, like, it's like um is a uh is a burrito a sandwich you know yeah is a hot um, dog a sandwich yeah hot dog or something like that is it a sandwich you know um, well it it has like two pieces of bread right and you like put something in the middle and you eat it right and I think it's something similar like that, the whole gain of function research argument. Um, the papers that were published that, that came from, you know, that had funding from the NIH or NS, whatever, AID, um, NIAID, um, you know, the, the research that they did was to modify viruses and measure the results. And in some cases, those modified viruses, um, the function of them made them more variant or, you know, was that gain of function research? I don't think they were specifically trying to give the virus, make the virus more variant in this research, but they did. So it's like, you know, it's like, the, is, is a hot dog sandwich? It's like, well, it was, it ended up being gain of function research by the fact that they did some research and something gained function, but I don't think that was the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, what is your, like, uh, your pet theory on if it was from a lab or not? I like the, there was like, I think it's like Bill Maher or something. He did this uh, bit where he where they were asking him about like where the vaccine I mean where the covid 
strain came from. And he just kept saying, why don't we ask a viral lab in the province it was found? Oh, wait, there is one. It's called the Wuhan Viral Clinic for COVID, you know, stuff like that. But um, uh, do you have like a pet theory for what happened? Oh, I don't know. You know, I think it's impossible to tell. And I think that's the funny part is everybody's, whether you say it, it isn't or it is, um, there's, there's no way to tell, right? It's impossible to go back and say without somebody outright, without finding like evidence, like somebody wrote down, like we did this experiment and we had this thing, which I imagine all that stuff is burned by now, you know, like you're never going to find that information. It's impossible to tell. And so the, the things that people are saying are just like, you know, it, it, it definitely, you definitely can't say it a hundred percent came from a lab or a hundred percent didn't come from a lab. And I think that's the problem is that like people are getting into these narratives where it's like, yes, it a hundred percent didn't come from a lab or something. And you can't say that even if it looks exactly like a virus you found in nature or something like that, you can't say that because like modern genetic engineering techniques allow you to modify things such that you could never tell the difference. Hmm. right you could never say that was definitely genetic engineered or that was definitely wasn't and so you know i i don't know you know i don't know if it was or it wasn't um yeah you know it's a lot harder to make things and you know like make a virus that will infect a lot of people get it into the general population and have it infect a lot of people and then have it spread. That's complicated. That requires a lot of things to go improbably correctly. Can it happen? Sure. Did it happen? I don't know. Right. So I think both theories have like things going against them. Yeah. My, and so it's just like, I'm in the same boat. It's like, I don't know what to think. My, the thing that doesn't help them is that they did the same thing with SARS where they, 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 they did leak that at one point in time. So it's like, if ever if, if, if you repeatedly re- leak something, it's like, I, I don't know, I'm going to look at you differently. It's like if every day you walk down the street and you happen to pickpocket someone, and there's a pickpocketing in the neighborhood, I'm going to look at that person first. Yeah, <laughs> like, for you know, sure. I don't know if for this sure. is natural, if they lost it or not. Um, but yeah, who knows? It'll be fun if, if anyone ever reveals it, like a, a true, true crime documentary or something from China. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think... Anybody will ever, like I said, like, I think, you know, any sort of evidence of anything happening has probably long been destroyed. Like anybody would be ridiculous to have kept it, you know, if you're the Wuhan Institute of Virology, like they don't have anything that like, no, like they burned it all a long time if I imagine. So it's... Mm. It's, it's all just from here on out going to be complete conjecture. Um, Do you have, is there, is, is there something like the, like, is it a lab leak or not in the bio, biological space thus far in history? Like that you would be cured, like if you could get the answer to it, it would make you happy. Like in the future, it could be like, oh, if I could do this type of technology, like that's an easy sure. thing. But yeah, I, I think, the, like, I think the thing is, is uh, the whole RNA world hypothesis that the world, the DNA or, you know, organisms evolved from RNA. Um, the first macromolecule that instigated life was an RNA molecule. 
Um, there is no evidence to back this up. Um, it's a hypothesis that was created by scientists because they, they surmised that during the conditions that we predict were on the early earth, um, some these chemical reactions could have taken place that could have created some RNA molecules, um, which then could have led to more RNA molecules being created and chemical reactions in life. Um, but there's zero evidence, you know, like you, you can't prove it, right? Because nobody can go back to the early earth and like, at least not right now, maybe when we have time travel, but uh, right now nobody can. And so like, um, it's just this weird, wild guess that people have that is based on little more than, you know, some hands waving. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, Einstein said that you could look into the past, but you just couldn't go there. Like, so we could have like a giant magnifying glass that pierces time. You know, I'm okay with that either way, because, um, you know, I, I, my idea is that, or the competing hypothesis is that proteins were the first molecules, not RNA, um, and they're abundant, you know, amino acids are abundant in the galaxy. Uh, they're, they're very abundant. And so, you know, you have these two competing hypotheses. It's kind of like the lab leak and, uh, you know, natural evolution theory. And you'll never be able to know, at least not until like we create our own worlds, um, which will be really cool. But I imagine that's, you know, a good million years in the future or so. Mm-hmm. Or until we get this giant magnifying glass that I'm talking about. It's not It's not called a magnifying glass. That's stupid. It's like the uh, Einstein-Rosen bridge is what it is to look back in the past. Well, I, I mean, you know, it'll about probably it. be a good, what, 500,000, a million years before we get that. I think the major constraint is power. Like, we need a lot of energy to do it. I think that's what a physicist was saying. We get you we know, just, like, fired a laser that kind of did something good for the last couple of weeks. So that's kind of cool. So we're getting closer. To fission. Closer. No, fission or fusion, fusion, I forget which one. Yeah. I don't know how you, uh, you know, there's like one that's fusion, which is for nuclear stuff. And there's fission, that's the, like the inside of a uh, sun. And I always get those two confused. I'm sure there's like a guy yeah. out there that knows the Latin and it's like one means like donkey and that one means like <laughs> chicken or something. And it's like obvious. But um, when you, when you, like, I, I'm, I'm generally curious. So when, when you, um when you inject things in yourself, does it ever hurt? Like, so I was reading about oh, one yeah, of your things about how you. Yeah, you, you were like shoving a biocompatible polymer into yourself or something. And I was like, man, that sounds painful. But didn't that hurt? But <laughs> you just like in the article, you were just like, oh, this felt weird. It was like, is it weird the word or is it? Yeah, no. I mean, these things do hurt for sure. Okay. Um, I was like, man, you were just But I think it's steel. like, um, yeah. You know, there's like uh, acceptable forms of pain and there's non-acceptable forms of pain generally, right? You let other people punch you in the face, you get paid to do it and sing or, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, uh, do CrossFit and you can't walk for a week because, you know, you exercise your legs so hard. That's a, you know, approved form of hurting yourself. Um, I think it's really similar. Um, except the goals I think are, provide more knowledge or you know in some way 
experiment using the scientific process and understand the world, understand ourselves and understand these whole things. So I think it's the goal that pushes me just like anybody else, whether you're, you know, whatever way you're hurting yourself, um, the goal that pushes you. I mean, I don't know if you have tattoos. I have plenty, but like, you know, tattoos. Not hurt. yet. Yeah. I mean, people, some people say they don't hurt, but they're just lying. Um, they say it's addicting. Hurt. Yeah, they say you it's know? addicting. Like it's a good pain. <laughs> I don't know. You know, to each oh. their own, but it definitely hurts. And, um, and it's like, that's like a socially acceptable form of hurting yourself. And so I think it's just some of the stuff I do sometimes isn't necessarily socially acceptable because nobody else really does it. But mm-hmm. um, if it were in the confines of a hospital or something like that, it would be much more socially acceptable. It's just that like, I'm doing it outside traditional venues. Yeah. Well, my concern's not for a social convention because I don't really care about society all that much. I just more was wondering like, to what extent is this like, like uh, the exploration harmful to you? You know, like, is it a momentary pain? Does it go away, you know, a little bit? Um, it sounds like they just go away over time. Like, you shut yeah, yourself with a yeah, COVID vaccine. Yeah, it just goes away. Yeah. I just really haven't done anything that had serious long-term effects. Um, That's good. Or anything like that, at least that I know about. Um, <laughs> you have two heads. <laughs> you just don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, there could be something on the molecular level that I can't see, you know, that like shows up later, but um yeah, I mean, I think it's just like, I, you know, if you look at like the first people who flew planes or went to space, um, there's some amount of crazy there, right? And, and people have died in the pursuit of knowledge in, in many different ways. And um, I think for me, you have to balance like the crazy and um, like the reasonable, right? Like this is what I know and this is the risk I'm willing to tolerate. So let me mm-hmm. balance these so that I'm not taking more risk than I know I can reasonably tolerate. But, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes you need people who are willing to push those boundaries a little bit more, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. because it, it pushes humanity forward, you know, like people going to outer space like that shit was crazy yeah there's a guy like, who fell asleep on the rocket he was like uh, it was john glenn he would literally fall asleep he didn't care at all yeah like some people are just, just born like, different they're just real yeah. stars it's just like but it, that is like you know it's really beneficial mm-hmm. to society and humanity and i think providing people these opportunities i think in, in the medical system as we talked about earlier something that I think would be very beneficial, right? We need to allow people to take risks that they're willing to take and tolerate a little bit more risk in our medical system so that people who need treatments can try out some cutting edge stuff. And the knowledge that we get from them trying this stuff out can benefit everyone, you know? Yeah. As long as there's consent, people really understand. Yeah. I've met so many people who were dying who had terminal illnesses with no treatment and uh you know that's 
they would have loved, liked nothing more than to test out treatments on themselves, whatever they could get their hands on. Have you are you familiar with the movie A Beautiful Mind? Yeah, sure. You know, when you're, John Nash when you're, or whatever. Yes, uh, with uh, Russell Crowe, which is also yeah. what I name every crow I meet. Uh, but the when you're when you're when you're doing all these things, uh, you know, like uh, visiting the government and whatnot. Do you ever do you ever wonder like, oh, this is evidence? Like, I might not all be here. <laughs> like, because I, I was sort of talking to my wife about this last night, and I was like, you know, if, if aliens picked me to be there, like, well, we need you to translate for the rest of the world. Yeah. I would just I would sit down and be like, I, just wait until Amy comes home and she can help me, because <laughs> like, clearly I'm having a psychotic break. But like uh, you're, you're like doing all these really cool things, but you know you're just a Midwesterner. Um, does it ever like <laughs> ever just ever just worry like you're the beautiful mind guy and no one's told you the little girl doesn't exist? Uh, it's really hard because um, sometimes when nobody else understands what you're doing at a certain mm-hmm. point, or there's very few people um, who understand what you're doing. It's hard to position yourself in regards to like safety, in regards to like cultural, social acceptance and significance and all these things. Um, So it's easy to get to that place where it's, it's like, um, you know, I used to rock climb and, uh, Sometimes when you get up so high and you're standing against the wall and you look in every direction and every direction, you can just see rock, right? Because like, as far as you can see in every direction, you just see rock, you get kind of a, a vertigo hmm. because you, you it's hard to position yourself in the world, right? You don't know. It's like when you're underwater, you know? Sometimes it's hard to position yourself, like what's up and what's down. If you like spin around underwater and open up your eyes, right? Or keep your eyes closed. You have no idea where you are. And it's kind of similar. You don't really have a frame of reference for like if you've actually gone crazy or if what you're doing is sound and knowledgeable and reasonable because there's nobody else who's doing these things. There's nobody else who understands these things to the level you understand them. And so uh, it, it can get really scary and it can definitely be at the point where you're just like, have I lost it? Like, am I crazy? Or like, am I actually like reasonable human being right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when, you know, people yell at you and say, Hey, maybe don't do those things. It's like, yeah. It's like if uh, everywhere you go, people are assholes. It's like, am I the asshole? That, I wonder that sometimes. If I'm having like yeah. having one of those days, you ever have one of those days where like everywhere you go, like someone's being a jerk, like someone's yeah. cutting you off or whatever. So yeah. when I when I notice that, I always think, oh, I'm probably in a bad mood. I need to like chill out, like you know, like read a book <laughs> or something. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad hypothesis, but yeah, it's true, you know. But the thing is also that people don't make great changes in the world by doing the thing that everybody else does yeah right in order to make some have some big impact you have to do something nobody else is doing right otherwise everybody it wouldn't 
have this big impact. Everybody would be doing it, right? Yeah, it'd be easy. And so that's also like a big truth that's hard to live with because it's like, it is like you're doing something new and different. So there's going to be some amount of pushback generally, which is annoying, you know, because it's just like, if, especially the stuff I do, you know, like trying to bring people body autonomy and medical choice and understanding of, you know, modern medicine and genetic engineering and all these other things. To me, I view that as something that is like noble, honorable and like helpful to humanity and you get all this pushback from it and you're just like why like what are we what are we fighting against you know are we fighting against knowledge like that's crazy and uh it it can be really hard at times because it's just i want to do something that there's not like so much pushback from you know like i want to be like a professional starcraft player or something yeah, I guess uh, here people Argent- don't play StarCraft anymore. Do <laughs> no, there's people make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of Star Trek, uh, Star StarCraft, StarCraft. Oh yeah, StarCraft yeah. too. Yeah, there's there's some tournaments uh, where you can make like there's certain teams that make millions of dollars. I'm 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 gonna be interviewing one of the teams. I want to learn more oh, about yeah? it because it seems crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be yeah. interviewing uh, one of those teams and then like uh, ice skating because Amy Amy and I have been really getting into watching people do ice skating. I don't know why, but it's like they throw cool. people around and it feels like they should die. Like, like there was a person who's it pretty ridiculous. Who, who, who like uh, spun uh, a like la- a lady, and her head was like this far off the ground. And yeah. I was like, how many times did she get domed <laughs> before yeah. they got that right? When they practice, do they wear helmets? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, there's a there's a TV show called Smallville, and uh, in it, every now and again, people f- realize who Superman is. They're like, oh wow, you're Superman. And then they usually get like hit on the head with, <laughs> so they get amnesia. <laughs> and we, we joke about the end of the series. The reason no one recognizes him because everyone has concussions. <laughs> they just don't even know anymore. <laughs> uh, but it, it does sound with you know uh, in relation to to you at least. There's like a little bit of like courage in what you do. You know, like there's there's the fears there, but you're over you're able to overcome it. You know, like with rock climbing, I probably like if I was if there was like a rock climbing situation in front of me i would hope you're just nearby and i could just kind of like tag your it and let you take that yeah. on but yeah. at the same time like you're you're like constantly overcoming so many different things where most most people would be like oh okay like they most people like they they face one hurdle and between where they are now and versus where they want to go they they kind of get dejected by it especially if i don't know what your family life or like the your role models growing up but most people don't like i can't imagine there's many people that were like injecting themselves with things when you're growing up um <laughs> but like if someone's doing something weird like they even har- the one of the hardest element one, one of the hard elements is that like there's no one around to like pattern your life off of like when you're yeah. you know, like you're the you're the you're the joe that people look up to now they're like oh i'm going to do what yeah, this person no doing. it is and that's hard because it, you you are in this place where you're just like you know it's something that I've thought a lot about lately because it's just like, what kind of life do I want to live? Who do I want to be? Because you can kind of lose yourself in that because you're kind of dictating who you are and like who, what you're doing and all this stuff, which could be a good thing, but it also can be a bad thing because like society has 
certain standards and um, like patterns and things we do because it's beneficial to all of us. It helps us all get along. It helps us all work together and stuff like that. And you can, I think, push yourself too far outside of society to where like you ostracize yourself. Um, and that's just, it's, it's not good for you. You know, it's not good for me. It's not good for other people because generally you want to find this balance of like, you can be part of society, but also push the boundaries. It's one thing hard with the COVID vaccine, you know, or a lot of the stuff we do, it's getting to the place to a certain extent where it's so advanced. It's so outside the norm that people don't really understand it or don't believe it. And the impact it can have on society and culture is just like so diminished because like, you know, people are just like, I, I don't really get it. You know, making a COVID vaccine in your fucking kitchen before any was publicly available, testing it on ourselves. Like to me, that's one of the greatest things of, you know, 20th, like at least the past five or 10 years that anybody has ever done. Anybody, yet society doesn't see that way because they don't understand it. They don't, like the idea that somebody could create a functional vaccine themselves, test it on themselves using proper scientific techniques and protocols in their kitchen or in their home. Like, and so it's like, how do I bring this back? How do I make this more accessible to people, more understandable to people? And that's, that's a hard thing to do. You know, it's kind of like a completely different goal than just like, what's the most advanced and crazy thing I can do? Cause that's what it used to be. But now it's like the things I can think of and want to do are just like so far out there that I think it wouldn't hit. It would just be like, what the fuck? What the well, yeah. there there is a, an argument you made for like keeping other people inspired in what you're doing, but maybe it's like in doing those crazy things you'd inspire them more. That there'd be like sometimes that's one of the reasons why I like the the show is like someone can someone people have listened in, heard someone talks passionately on something like oh I didn't know coding could be like that I didn't know CRISPR could be like that I didn't know biohacking yeah. could be like that and they go out and try it and now their whole life just changed because of oh, the, sure. the passion behind it yeah yeah so, no for sure it is it's just like it's more complicated. Like when I first approached all this stuff, I just thought about like, how can I do, you know, push the boundaries of science and genetic engineering. I just thought one level deep. And now it's like, I'm trying to think four or five levels deep, like not just how can I push the boundaries? How can I affect more people? How can I, you know, push society more towards a goal? How can I get more people involved, inspired, like all these things? And so it just becomes a different problem to solve that is more difficult because to me, science is the easy part. You know, that's like my, you know, like piano for Mozart, like genetic engineering is just something that I can just see and play and like, you know, molecular biology, bio I can just see it. I can see like deep into it, 
but um, it's more complicated than that. It's like translating that for other people and helping them, you know, um, also be able to see these things. I could see you being like somewhere in between like a, uh, Mr. Rogers and Carl Sagan, like educating people <laughs> in that type of show. You have a really nice voice. I think the three people go for it. You got the background yeah. for it. Yeah. And then I'm the news should help it. sell it for if you. If anybody is listening, you know, and yeah. they want to, to give me a show to do. Well, you can make it yourself. I mean, YouTube is pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, you just need production equipment. I, I know yeah. I know some filmmakers. I could, uh, you know, I'm not against it, but, you know, it's, um, it's figuring out what to invest my time right now, mm -hmm. you know? And um, is that a big reflection? I'm banned from YouTube, by the oh, way. Oh, you're banned? You know, like, I thought it was like just for that one episode. I thought like the one episode was banned because you were showing no, people. I got they just were like, we banned. hate you, go away. Okay. Yeah. Because what we did when we created this COVID vaccine, we uh, live streamed the whole process. We tried yeah. to be as um, transparent as possible so that when people wanted to know about it, um, we could just say, well, you know, if you don't believe us, just go watch the video. So every experiment we did, every test we ran, we live stream the whole thing so that people could see us actually like testing our blood samples and like mm -hmm. doing the experiments um so that there was like some amount of transparency which we don't see in the pharmaceutical industry at all ever um and uh youtube permanently yeah banned me for life for uh you know, trying to teach people how to make a vaccine in their home. Yeah, that's that's weird. Yeah, I mean, what is the difference between doing that and just reading a paper very in a very detailed way with graphics? Right. Like, you know, they, they accept that. Sometimes I wonder uh, to what extent did someone do something wrong versus like you're just kind of like a big name and people are hitting you. You know, like with investigations oh, yeah. and stuff like that. It's like, oh do, yeah, do people sure actually think you're doing like something wrong or they just want the recording? To... You know, everybody goes on watch the video and they're like. Oh, this ass, asshole! I'm gonna just report. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Well, there's Twitter now. Apparently, uh, that the free speech and all that over there. I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think Elon's gonna buy uh, YouTube. But he 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 was doing a town hall thing where he said he wants to do like YouTube things on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter definitely needs more video. I mean, that's where things are going. You know. Anyway. Yeah. Or pictures. You know, words are great, but like. Yeah. <laughs> And you do art stuff too as well. Like you did uh, some art yeah. installations and you made a piano type thing that will like respond to DNA. I was trying to find yeah, images of it, but I was, I was too stupid. I couldn't find it. Yeah, chrome cord. It's actually like, nice. yeah, I think it's, it's hard to see, but it's, it's kind of like that black and orange thing. One? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would carry oh. that around wherever I, I would go if I were you too. Like okay. you, you bring employees in. It's like, and this is the thing I randomly invented. Like, okay, I'm going to listen to you more. <laughs> no. Yeah. So a lot of the work I do, I see as a, a form of self-expression um, yeah. because uh, it's interesting how science tries to be devoid of uh, bias and expression um, when it's completely not, it's impossible for anything to be free of bias. Um, and scientists like to pretend like they are, but to me, like the experiments I do, um, are like a way that I can 
express things that are inside of me um, mm-hmm. in some way, whether, you know, it's the COVID vaccine or whatever. Um, it's expression of who I am as a person. And um, I see my work as more performance art than I do as science. Uh, that's why I like to record a lot of it, or I like to make it, you know, like interfaceable with humanity, as opposed to just like writing a scientific paper and putting that online. Like that is not a way to interface with people that, you know, that it loses so much. And mm-hmm. so I try to figure out ways in which I can create turn science into a form of self-expression so that people can experience it the way I experience it. That's a pretty compelling defense for how to get away with any legal problems you have moving forward. <laughs> it's like, this is art. You know, I think uh, there are people who have literally obstructed traffic before and like done things. And they're like, oh, I'm just doing art. <laughs> so you can't, they don't get in trouble for it. It is true. It's protected. It is true. Yeah. You know, it is. better lawyers. <laughs> you should get better lawyers. They should have identified that as your strategy. Just lean in that and all your things. Like they ask you about COVID. It's like, well, first of all, I see this as art. This is a performance. And then you go to talk about it. No one can ever attack you again because it's art. I think um, the hard part is, is the art consists of really advanced science. And so there's this where like art, art and artists don't always consider the things they do art and science and scientists don't consider the things they do science. So it's like this weird thing that's just like very unique to my mode of doing things um, that I do, uh, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, it's difficult because there are some, some of my works like the, you know, the musical instrument that I created that uses engineered proteins inside of it. Um, and, uh, things that I've designed a a number of art pieces, more like new media art pieces, um, that have been in museums and stuff like that. I've been in a lot of museums, but, uh, most of my work isn't like, it's hard to show at a gallery or like, you know, because it's like me live streaming myself on YouTube doing an experiment or something. Right. It's um, not very traditional in the art world. And so uh, most of the things I do are in this very weird middle ground. I went to the Chicago, one of the, the big marble with little uh, lions on it. The, oh, yeah, yeah, the art yeah, yeah. museum there. Yeah, and there was a person Chicago's who had like... Art Institute yeah. in Chicago. I'm glad you know. I, I I just know it's art building. I'm sure it has. It's like near like the giant. <laughs> I mean, everybody thing. in the Midwest knows that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just for the um, artists. Well, I went in there once, and uh, there was like something made out of popsicle sticks, and they were saying that oh, was yeah. art, and I was like, that just looks like someone glued a bunch of popsicle sticks together. I think I should go to something more dumbed down for me to appreciate. But uh, I think I think it could work. Like if you just made like a diorama, you know, you took the live stream and then like made a diorama or something out of it, kind of like something from Community and their uh, their never-ending dioramas. I, I feel like there's a, there's an avenue here. If someone out there can understand how to legalize this so that so Joe can just do whatever they want to do, uh, that'd be great. Because I'm sure to some extent you're being limited in your expression because of these. Well, these... my expression is mostly limited by society. I think. Um, yeah, we should ignore because society. A lot a lot of times um i think society isn't ready for 
things that I want to do. Um, and so it's like, yeah, that's a huge, I mean, you don't think about this a lot. You know, most people, most artists probably are just like do art. Um, but to me, some things are just uh, like too, uh, too ahead of what people believe and understand and think about. You know, for instance, in our project, I was thinking of doing um, around embryos. Um, <laughs> so currently there are laws, I don't know if there are laws or regulations around um, how long you can grow a human embryo outside of the womb. Yeah, and, it's like 12 uh, days, right? It's like, yeah, it's not that long. It, yeah, yeah, it's something like that. It's like 12 or 14, somewhere around there, some arbitrary number that was selected. Um, and it's strange because, you know, most of the people who run these scientific things are the same people who support abortion, right? Are the same people who think that like, uh, uh, a seven week old, you know, fetus or whatever, isn't a, a living being. And it's really contradictory to me. Um, and it's really held back scientific research a lot. Uh, and so I want to take an embryo and, uh, grow it and, and, and do an experiment to see how long I can grow it outside of Ooh. Um, set up a, you know, an art exhibit and installation, right? It's like a big room in the middle of a museum that has microscopes and everything trained on the embryo. So people can come in and watch it as it develops over the course of its life. How long can it last? I don't know. You know, um, it depends years. on... T tissue development things like that i mean generally you're talking about days at this point in time you know mm. maybe like 20 days or 30 days who knows you know there's some projects i've been working on to uh you know overcome some of the problems of this artificial embryo develop artificial womb you know embryo development outside the womb but like doing an art piece like that having an embryo grow and then die in front of everybody, like backlash on that would be insane. I think, you know, maybe that's a good thing. It's, it's good to pick fights every now and again, especially if you're doing like a fundraising or something. Cause then the people who like what you're doing are going to come say hi and give you some money. I, I was recently watching a Jordan Peterson interview and he said, he, he said, whenever he pisses people off, he makes more money. Cause the, the people who do, do like him <laughs> support his Patreon. It's like, well, that's kind of sure. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is like, I don't want to live my life like that. You know, I don't want to yeah, live my right. life constantly angry. having to be in conflict with the world. I mean, again, look at Jordan Peters. You know, he's he himself has admitted he has severe, you know, mental health issues. Checked himself into mental health institutions or rehab and all these places. He deals yeah, with a lot of shit. It's not a way to live for anyone to live their life just to like stir up controversy all the time you know it's like i i don't want to be hated or have people angry at me 
Like nobody does, right? I want I want people to enjoy me and be interested in the things I do. Like like everybody, like you, I imagine also, you know? It's like okay neutral. to be controversial sometimes, but like, you know, I just want to be like a Big Mac, you know? It's like nobody hates the Big Mac. Probably people trying to lose weight hate Big Macs. They <laughs> also love it, you know? Like, yeah, why? Well, well, I don't know. I, I worry about the concept of trying to please everybody. I think, you know, as long as you're happy and the people who love you are happy, you know, I think sure. society can probably sure. get punched in the face. I mean, society for the longest time thought that, like, homosexuality was uh, an illness. So, I mean, maybe I they agree. don't get a vote sometimes. Agree. No, I agree. But I think also it's like, and I do, and I do try to be myself and live mm-hmm. my best life. But also it's like fighting all the time isn't possible. You know, it's tiring. Yeah, it does. And sometimes you don't want to fight. Sometimes you just want to like exist in the world and be mm-hmm. beneficial and like live and not constantly worry about the hate you're going to receive. Um, and I can be really controversial at times just because of who I am, not because I'm trying to even be controversial, just because like of the things I've done and the experiments I've done, which like, on face value aren't controversial, you know, like making a COVID vaccine is not controversial. But once it enters society, society places some meaning to it outside of just the meaning that it has that a COVID vaccine was created and it becomes controversial. And that's hard for me because it's just like, I just want to create things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those things end up causing controversy. In ancient times, uh, when Rome would be coming into contact with different civilizations, like with India, they would find that the Indians didn't care about silver, and so they would just start getting as much silver as they can. And the Indians would be like, "Oh, this is not that much," and they keep they keep they 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 value this, so they just kept like you know doing the exchange. But eventually, the Indians started uh, appraising silver higher, and it became their standard of currency as well. And so I wonder to what extent, like, there's like, you know, society in terms of like the internet, just like maybe like evil people that are living in basements, you know, and like, you know, like they could be just being mean to you. And then it's like offsetting like what actual society is like, like no one actually cared about silver in India. They were happy with like clamshells or whatever the heck it was. But then like the Romans, sure, and but silver, it, you know, yeah. with me, unfortunately, it's not just the internet. It's also the government, you know, yeah, that's rare. I've been harassed by the government, not just like federal government which has you know the fda and the fbi it's also state governments like you know the state of california and the california medical board and it's not just in the u.s also the german government and you know it's also companies social media companies come after me payment processors you know my business um uses payment processors to charge credit cards payment processors have shut us down because um, so it's um it's yeah. If it was just random people on the internet, that's fair. I might be okay with it, I but it's reached mu- a much much greater place in my life to where, um, you know, my my job, my business, my me being in jail or not, you know, it's like affected so much, and 
that makes it much more difficult to just keep doing it because sometimes like like I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. You know? Like I don't. Set a place. Yeah. And so it's like unless you're in Norway. Then it's nice. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That's what I hear. Uh but even then, you, you know. Oh, go ahead. Pardon? No, I, you were gonna I say mean, something even, then I think I cut you off. Oh, I said even the, even then, like I, I still don't want to spend time in jail, you know? Like I yeah, still have great. loved ones that I care about, people I want to be around. Yeah. Is um are these threats still existing? I I was under the belief I, I thought like, you know, it's like in the beginning, like people were just mean to you. And then over time, you know, the governments and stuff were like, oh, we know who this person is. They're, they're good people. We're going to be nicer to them <laughs> moving forward. They're still. I mean, I've to talked with more people. Um, most recently, it's been less government involvement. I mean, as 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 early as 2019 was the last time I was seriously harassed by the government. Um and then uh, since then, it's been more companies, actually, you know, payment processors, social media companies, um, places like that. And so it's just, I feel like switching a little bit. Um, yeah. So how do you still like, yeah, anyway, how do you, what are you doing now to protect yourself? I was I was I was going to ask you about the fan mail convicted rapist and generally how you protect yourself, but this is probably <laughs> this is probably you know related. Like if all these things are coming at you, you, it, you know you don't seem like too beaten up by it, but maybe on the inside you're crying more. But like, how are you? Like, what are you doing to stay safe when all these things going? On? Not just the convicted rapist trying to talk to you, but um, yeah, no, from I got, these government I got agencies and stuff. A letter in the mail from. Uh, it's not the funny thing is it's not even my first letter from jail. Um, it's like my third or fourth and every person who sent me a letter from jail so far has been a murderer at least <laughs> why <laughs> why I don't know what? how do they even hear about you in jail I think you were saying that the I was watching I swear in that one they said that they um they uh they don't have access to the I, internet I've been on so many like documentaries and stuff okay, like yeah. that like yeah, everything you know like PBS or like all this stuff you know so even if they just give them access to like the most basic like generic learning channels or something like that they probably run into me or like I've been in so many magazines you know like Scientific American and all this stuff that like even the most generic stuff they there's a chance that they've heard about me um why they contact me instead of somebody else. I don't know. Maybe they feel more connected to me because I tend to be more iconoclastic and countercultural. Um, and they think they have a better chance with me than like writing a letter to Harvard professor. Um, Depends on the professor. But, but it's hard. Um, it's definitely, uh, I try to keep my personal life very personal um, and don't really talk much about it don't really post much on social media about it and, and stuff like that. Um, but it's definitely hard. People have definitely shown up to my place of business and stuff like that, just randomly, you know, because my company is, is the address is listed. People can find it online and people just show up sometimes. Um, and uh, you just kind of have to, you know, it's generally not, not everybody who's shown up has been crazy, but, Generally, it's, it's 
not normal people who just show up at your place of business randomly either. Um, yeah. It's uh, some survivorship bias there in terms of the type of people that are finding yeah, you. Yeah. So, but, yeah. but in general, like you, I haven't heard of you being swatted for instance. So like there's a, you're, you're generally, this is something I worry about. It might about. be like, difficult to find my address. I mean, I'm sure Good. if you paid money not, in one of those search services or something, you might be able to, but. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, I bet it's so easy. It's not worth anyone who's listening, who's an asshole to even look into it at all. Like, you know, sometimes they're like people who don't have social cues and can pick up on the fact that I'm saying something here that, uh, I get they would take the, the challenge. Like, I get, I get called, I got called yesterday. Somebody called my, I, I don't even know how they got my personal phone number. And uh, I was like, generally I don't answer phone calls, but sometimes when they're like, they seem, you know, not in the middle of the day. Yeah. Right. It, which is spam usually, or if it's like an area code nearby where I live, then I assume maybe it's like some business trying to get a hold of me that we're working with or something. But generally, I don't answer calls, but I did. And this person just started, like, questioning me about shit. And I was just like, all right, hang up. Sorry. Like, sorry. Yeah. Um, it is. You really do kind of have to, like, uh, you know, separate yourself a bit from these things. But uh, I, I, I don't fear, fear for my safety. I think most of the stuff I do doesn't anger people that much it more um yeah so i'm okay right now i think but uh i've definitely set up security cameras at my home and place business that monitor everything so you know and you have armed guards for anyone listening yeah i saw them they totally exist <laughs> so anyone would be attack yeah. dog yeah, and your your place of business is like ten thousand feet in the air. It has a physical location, but that's like where the elevator is, so no one can yeah. really get you. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, desire to experiment with psilocybin? I've been I've been researching more about this, like in terms of like affecting PTSD. I mean, PTSD well, you know, yeah. Oh well, myself. Um, or as a research I don't know. project, you know. Um, I think that's a little. I don't want to say outside the scope of what I do, hmm. but I think that's um, that's something that's more useful in like a clinical trial like setting, you know, um, because the effects of of something like psilocybin or similar drugs, which I I totally believe can help people, like um, I think that's it's easy to be biased on something like that, you know, where it's like, Ooh, I feel better. Right. It's like, it's not really like scientific in any way. Mm -hmm. And so for something like that, I feel like it's better to have professionals set up, you know, controlled clinical trials or something in which they can determine how helpful these things actually are for people um, you know, that face PTSD or depression or things like that. Um, so for me, it's more, that's, that's less like pushing the boundaries of something and more like, uh, you know, um, it just needs resources and, uh, 
like I'm not going to contribute to that in any way by doing psilocybin and being like, it healed me, you know, like people are just going to be like, yeah, you're just a fucking mush head, you know. <laughs> yeah, you can find the dancing elves. Apparently there's elves on there or something. I hear it's good, like particularly if you're like dying, apparently it helps you with your death, like coming to terms with it. So that's yeah. probably the only context I'll take it in. Like if I were to experiment, I'm a very boring person. I do not do drugs or drink. Yeah. My doctors love me. So like that's, I'll like, I'll good. take that box at the end of my life. Yeah. Whenever that comes. I think that's the paradigm. But I thought, you know, maybe you're more courageous than me. So I could <laughs> have you try it and then tell me if it's any good. Um, <laughs> are you uh, like, <laughs> hey, you're my guinea pig. Yeah. It's like there's a, uh, in paragliding. I think enough when, people have done it that like, you know, I don't, yeah, but I don't know I don't them. need to like, oh, you know, yes, I have a control. You need, you need, I have like a, a, contr- you need a personal yeah. recommendation. Well, it's like I have I have now a, a control variable of who you, who you are, and so uh-huh. if you take it and it's like the next time I see you, your hair's all in the air or something like that, and you can't, you can't complete sentences, then I know like you know what, you know it's anecdotal, but I don't think this don't is the right thing it. for me. Yeah, you know, are you are you uh uh gonna be are you setting up your are you reading anything interesting right now? Would be a better way of ask, asking the question. Yeah, yeah, I'm working on a couple things that I think are interesting. Well, right now, you know, I'm trying to move more towards, you know, artistic stuff, more artistic expression of stuff, um, and, and perhaps less science-y stuff. <laughs> but the one project I've been really interested in working on is um, one of the big problems with artificial wombs and uh, getting embryos and other things to live outside of the human body um is oxygenation yeah. um right now what they do is they usually put it in a vessel and apply high pressure oxygen to it to try to force it into the tissue but this mm-hmm. doesn't work really well and it's currently one of the reasons why we have trouble getting embryos to live past certain times so i've been doing a lot of research into um artificial bloods and um, molecules that can carry oxygen better than hemoglobin um, that can are, are much smaller, can penetrate deeper into tissues and that uh, can oxygenate things for a, a, a lot better. Um, and it's a really interesting area um, mm-hmm. because there's been some wild stuff done that's just kind of been um, never really approved for medical use. So I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of the movie Abyss. And there's a scene where yes. they, uh, you know, flood the person's suit with this liquid. Yeah, um, it's like red or something. And uh, they've actually done that before with mice. They've taken these artificial bloods and that, that can hold oxygen and taken mice and um, anesthetize them and put them in these liquids for hours right hours because the oxygen in the liquid can diffuse into their tissues and keep them alive um and so understanding this and how it affects cells and growing cells is something i've been experimenting with and um it's use many use cases in uh you know embryo artificial wounds and growing uh things in bioreactors and things like that um and even human, you know, using artificial bloods in, in humans, um, it's, uh, I'm surprised it's, it's, it hasn't, it's not more popular than 
um, you know, what the scientific research shows. And it's just because regulations and government has really pushed back against it. And so you have this whole area of research where it's ripe for somebody to, that's usually where I like to go is where there's like scientific data on it, but research was inhibited in some way because risks are required or people didn't have the experience to take disparate fields and bring them together. So you couldn't just like put it in a petri dish and have like some dialysis system going on? Like it doesn't just like absorb it in? Is there like a technical so, re like a technical term for why it doesn't just aerate oxygen? In? Yeah. To the to the but why oxygen doesn't diffuse thing. into the tissues? Yeah. Is there like a there's like a scientific I'm just I'm saying this for anyone who's scientific listening who'd be like, oh I know, I know how to help you with this. Also I have no idea. <laughs> Getting oxygen. So generally when you're in a liquid, um oxygen is only going to enter through the surface. So you have to get it, mm -hmm. you have to get it further. Usually they do mixing and stuff like that. Right. But even then, um, getting large amounts of oxygen in liquid can be difficult. Um, just because, uh, you know, most of the liquid is, is water, right? Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so creating these liquids that are filled with these molecules that can carry the oxygen, right? And get it to diffuse deeper in the tissue. Um, just have a higher concentration of these molecules and oxygen in the liquid um, can be very helpful to, you know, obviously oxygenating the tissue, right? Yeah. Like you, the... you could literally um, replace your blood. Well, not completely because your blood has other stuff within it. Um, but they've put like large quantities of some of this stuff in, in human beings. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it oxygenates like five times better than, hemoglobin or you know carries five times more oxygen than hemoglobin so but it's so. the membrane itself that's that's caused the problem if you get the oxygen inside the cell it'll be happy as a clam but it's the fact that you can't get through the membrane at a high enough rate to keep the the uh the egg and all these other things alive yeah and it's also just like um diffusion deep inside right mm -hmm. it's like um, the concentration of oxygen as you get deeper into it. So if you, it's like, you have to think of it like, I don't know, uh, like a sieve or something like that, right? Getting the oxygen deep inside the tissue hmm. is, is much more difficult, you know, just and by having no the oxygen diffuse itself. Yeah. And normally it's just the umbilical cord that does all that work. So usually it's just blood, right? Oh, okay. But when you have, when you have an artificial embryo, you don't doesn't have a circulatory system attached to an organism that's pumping oxygenated blood into it, right? Okay. So you need sense. to provide this like artificial blood in some way, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Until like it can breathe on its own, which is like much much later in the embryo's life. Mm. Well, how many more? 
Uh, I know we're coming up on time, so I'll, I'll try to like keep it, yeah. keep my questions down. But how many day, like how how long do you have to keep it alive before like kind of like kickstarts and keeps going on its own? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think anybody necessarily knows. I think so. Mice. I think uh, the embryos are usually. Um, functional, I think around 24 days. Okay. They can survive outside the womb around 24 days, mice. Um, and I think they've gotten up to like 17 or 18 days. Um, with human embryos, obviously there's no like record because technically you're not allowed to let them live past like 12 days. Um, but yeah, no, a chicken egg is an interesting example. And it's, it's something that, um, I'm not completely clear how eggs survive so well. And I Mm. don't know if it's just uh, generally when they form, um, you know, inside of the egg has like, I don't even know, you know, the terminology here, the egg sac or, or whatever. Um, If you look at pictures, there's a blood vessel formation. Yeah. Maybe the surface area of, uh, you know, the egg sac or whatever allows oxygen to diffuse into these, uh, you know, veins. Um, the the at, shell at also better. has little tiny holes. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting how um, eggs can survive just fine outside of, but, you know, mammalian species um, don't use eggs. Except for what? Platypus, maybe? Yeah, those... those- Platypus is basically God giving Jesus his first job, and it's only the spare parts bin that he gets to pull from. <laughs> like that thing is a weird monstrosity. But um, okay, uh, then do you uh, do, are there? Oh, are you good at math? Yeah, I don't know compared to who. Well, you do you enjoy math? Just in, in terms of yourself. Oh, um, no, no. I mean, I'm. I've done, you know, my, my PhD is in um, molecular biophysics. And so I had to do some very um, complex math and stuff for my PhD. Um, Okay. But uh, do I enjoy it? Is something I I want to do or like, Oh no, I was just, uh, I was about to draw a bunch of parallels. So the uh, Washington inoculated his army from uh, I think it was smallpox or measles or something like Mm -hmm. that before it was allowed, like before it was approved. So you kind of have yeah. that going, going and in terms of your your vaccine, you, you were out before anyone else and he was doing it in a time where everybody hated that idea. And then at, if you were more enjoying of math, I was going to point out that you're kind of like uh, Leonardo da Vinci in the sense that like he was cutting open people and the church was like, if they found out they were going to burn them at the stake. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so like you got that in common too. Like, you I don't do want to be like, burned at the stake. Shit, well, don't, we don't do that anymore. I don't know if I'm that. Outside of Utah. We don't do that anymore. I'm that courageous. Yeah, God I, bless. Just, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting Thank parallels. You. But uh, yeah, there's a book by Walter I'm, Isaacson on uh, Da Vinci. You might like it. Yeah. Do you have any I books know. that you'd recommend for us, other than to subscribe to your Substack? Subscribe <laughs> to my Substack, Amateur Gods. Um, my favorite books are probably uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson. Um. Station Eleven. I think there was a, it was a TV show. Yeah, TV show is even better than the book. I read, I read the book and the TV show. TV I like them both. I thought they were both great. 
Well, the yeah. the station live on the TV show just really elevated it. Well, especially the fact that it, like it was they really meet good. up at the yeah. end. They made me cry when they got to see each other again in the book. Oh, he yeah. just goes off oh, and yeah, lives a happy sure. life. Yeah. And and then the the son just dies. Like he's just an evil cult leader. There's some redemption yeah. in there for him. I thought it was more of a beautiful ending. I also liked how they yeah. use Shakespeare to tell multiple themes. Yeah, it was fun. I yeah. really like that yeah. series. My wife hates me talking about it because I go on for a while. <laughs> She's so tired of it. <laughs> she did not like it. Uh, I, I thought really it was great. Liked it, yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. They made it under yeah. COVID too. Like that, all yeah. that the filming oh, happened yeah. while the pandemic was happening. So that's they really oh, were feeling it. It was it wasn't yeah. even acting then. They just went to work and transferred yeah. their feelings. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah but yeah, please continue. That was Sorry. a good one. Um, what other ones I? You know, I'm a a fan of some classic literature. Steinbeck. Um, like mice and men. Oh, Steinbeck. Uh, no, <laughs> that's that's it's what people uh, generally have read by Steinbeck. But I think um, I read *The Dubious Battle* one. is a really good book by Steinbeck. Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, um, Haruki Murakami. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a Japanese the author. Norwegian Wood. Yeah, he's written a lot of like surrealistic fiction books, um, mm -hmm. which are just crazy and cerebral and always have a disappointing ending. <laughs> it's like life. We all die. He's one of those people who just like every time he ends a book, you're just, you just don't feel happy. You're just like you didn't something you didn't give me enough information or like. Mm. I hear of flowers of Aragon or whatever it's like. People that. die or something. You're just like, come on. Yeah. Algernon, I think. Maybe. Mm, I yeah, that feels right. There's a, there's an author who only does that, and I don't ever want to let me see. Check I, it out. You know, I just started reading paper books again because then I get off my phone more. Um, that stuff's addicting. But uh, I was um, listening to audio books for a while, and so most of the books I've read. Oh, um, a really good one is the Midnight Library. Hmm. That was a really good one that I loved um, oh, by Matt Haig. Matt Haig? Yeah. It's just, I don't interesting, crazy, beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know, generally I'm into sci-fi and or autobiographies. Um, do you like biographies or do they have to be autobiographies? Autobiographies usually because... Uh, I want to hear it from the person's point of view, not somebody else's, you know? Yeah, you might like Grant's autobiography. I'm, I'm literally about to read it. it oh, yeah? I read the Chernow documentary, I mean a uh -huh. book, and I went from thinking Grant was a, I don't know, kind of a boring, useless person to learn about, to like, I like this guy. He's so nice. <laughs> he got funny. a slave and he immediately freed it. He was just such a cool oh, guy. Yeah, yeah you true. know, like... He, he beat up uh he beat up uh, Lee a lot and uh Lee was just a little dick the entire time. I like that guy. You know, how often does someone just like uh beat up those like uh uh the like when the South they made up reasons why they couldn't have slaves anymore? Like the um there's a term for it where they still thought themselves as victorious even though they lost. I don't know, I, I'm gonna oh, call yeah. them sore losers clubs, yeah. but like they like to the KKK and stuff. Um uh like what he did with reconstruction, I don't know, he's a really cool guy. I'd recommend the autobiography. Yeah. Yeah, he Great. wrote it. Oh, yeah, he wrote it in like f two weeks with cancer, and he would he had no money for his family when he was about to die. So Mark Twain worked out a deal so that uh, he would get a you know as long as he did a good biography that yeah. um, he Mark 
I'm trying to like concise this because I know we're going over. Yeah. Basically, he he died two days after he finished the autobiography, and then like two weeks later, or like when the book came out, Mark Twain walked over and handed his wife a million dollar check, and they were poor Damn. at that point. Yeah, it's so beautiful, and apparently it's really good. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, on your left arm, is that the the uh, scar from? That's your right arm. <laughs> that one, yeah. Is the is the tattoo the scar from uh, uh, Princess Mononoke? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the uh, demon that uh, yes Ashitaka has in his arm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, um Well, I was just going to ask and then um, ask you how do you want to be remembered by. It, but uh, is there? I'll just jump to this one because we're like way over the time. What do you want to be yeah. remembered for? Being a loving person. That's hard. Yeah. You're so mean. Well, no, I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I, I'm joking. Really I'm sorry. Somebody, no, it's fine. I'm just not somebody who really thinks much about being remembered. It's not something mm. that concerns me too much. Um, I would rather just my kids and my family and people close to me um, that I was able to, you know, love them a lot and be a, a source of love and safety and stability in their lives um because like all this other shit like whatever it goes away it disappears it's you know if people remember me after i'm dead how, what does it do for me like i don't care i would rather that um the people i love you know uh, get get something from me and uh yeah i think i think love is one of those crazy things that like it's valued so little in our world yet it's like it's such a scarce resource mm -hmm. you know and uh i think it should be valued way higher than it actually is yeah and people are really alone nowadays like people just feel mm -hmm. like they really don't like the majority of their lives they don't feel any love so that'd be a good way to be remembered or for yeah. if anyone's listening to be inspired to like reach out and be vulnerable and find love i guess yeah i think that's a good thing you know thank you for joining us today with the learn with lowell show Check us out at learnwithlowell.com, anywhere podcasts can be found. Subscribe. Tell me what you thought of this episode. Check us out on YouTube in particular. It's a new thing I'm doing. Uh, Timestamps and links are in the show notes. Thank you for coming. And I hope everyone, every one of you found something today that you're curious about to learn more about. And you'll go out and be curious and learn something new. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.